Well, I didn't know how to start today. I thought maybe I should say like Happy Christmas because uh, we're so close to Thanksgiving and it's Christmas time. And so, but here we are. December is finally here. Uh, so welcome to the month of Christmas. Welcome to extra happiness, extra stress, extra fun, extra family, extra headaches, maybe even a little heartache, extra decorations, extra spending, extra music, extra time with those you love, extra time with those you don't love very much. Uh, This month is a lot of extra, isn't it? It's a lot of extra. And this Christmas season brings with it the arrival of so much, some of it wonderful, some of it kind of difficult, but it is the arrival of many things. Uh, If you grew up in a mainline denominational church, you probably would recognize this season as the season of Advent. Uh, It's the time that we would set our attention on the reason for the season as we wait for his arrival, waiting for him to be born. Uh, But what you may not know is that the word Advent actually means arrival, and it's the first filling on your notes. The word Advent is actually defined as arrival, and that's what this season is. The arrival of Christmas. And yes, it's the arrival of Jesus, but it's so much more than just that. It's really about what arrives in our lives because of Jesus being born and coming into our lives. And that's what this whole series is about. It's what this whole season about, the arrival of Christmas and what it means uh, for us. I remember being just a kid, even in my teenage years uh, at our house, we had this big picture window in our living room, and we had these white couches uh, there. And the reason we could have white couches is because kids weren't allowed in the living room. Uh, did you ever have this growing up? You know, you, it was an area that was off limits to kids. And so the white couches actually stayed white because we weren't allowed to be on them. But on Christmas morning, I can remember several years in a row getting on my knees on that couch, looking over the back of the couch through the window, and just staring down the snowy street waiting for my grandpa and grandma's car to turn the corner. And I wasn't just excited for grandpa and grandma to show up. I was excited for their car to show up and what might be in their trunk um, because I knew there was gifts inside waiting for me. And my grandma was the type that she would go all out on the wrapping, you know, the, the beautiful wrap, the ribbons, the bows. She would just do it all. And, and there was a moment in time that I thought to myself, you know what, that's cool. I'm going to start doing that. <clears throat> And so I did it for like a year, and then I realized like it just gets torn apart in five seconds. And it's like, I just put all that work into it, and it's just torn apart. Forget that. Here's a gift bag, right? That's kind of what we do now. Gift bags. Everybody gets a gift bag. But I remember looking down the street, waiting for Grandpa and Grandma to arrive, because I knew my grandpa would get out of the car, and he would pop that trunk, and I would run out to help him carry in all of the gifts. And I knew one of those gifts was going to be for me, and I had this great hope that something would be amazing in one of those boxes. Uh, And as adults, maybe we aren't watching out the window like we used to, waiting for the arrival of something or someone. Uh, But the arrival of this Christmas, uh, 2019, can bring with it some life change if we let it. Instead of just going through the motions of the holidays, what if we stop to say, this Christmas, I want it to be different for me, to change me on the inside Uh, And so today, and throughout this series, we're going to be talking about the different things that we have access to, the arrival of, because of Jesus. And today I want to begin with the arrival of hope uh, that can be ours. Because we all know that when we're born, there's like this innocence to all of us. Uh, We believe anything. 
We trust anybody. We've got wild dreams and wild imaginations. We have like this big hope inside of us as kids. And if you have kids, you see this in them. You see this imagination. You see this, this hope and this belief. Uh, and that's when we start thinking when we're kids about what we're going to be when we grow up, right? It's gonna be, we're going to be the supermodel, or we're going to be the president, or we're going to be a rock star. I mean, nothing's too big. You know, I'll be the actor on the big screen or the actress. Uh, you know, if you ask my boys, uh, Cooper, he will turn 12 tomorrow. So if you see him, say happy birthday. Uh, tomorrow is his birthday. He's 12, and my other son is 13, my two oldest boys. And if you ask them right now what they want to do when they grow up, they would tell you that they want to be an NFL player or an NBA player. And I'm like, sweet. And if you ask them, well, what's your backup plan? If that doesn't work, they would tell you that then they want to be an NFL coach or an NBA coach, uh, to which I'm like, sweet. And what if that doesn't work? You know, like any other backup plans? And my oldest son would tell you right now that he wants to be a YouTuber and make millions of dollars. And if I get a cut of it, I am all on board for that. I'm like, dude, let's get you going on YouTube because if there's money to be made, your dad needs some, all right? And so we'll make this work. Uh, but I love the wild imagination. As kids, we're so optimistic. We're so hope-filled. But then things slowly begin to change, don't they? Uh, we never become the supermodel or the rock star. Uh, our best friends hurt us. Someone we love dies. We miss out on the dream job. Our picture-perfect family is wrecked by loss of life or maybe divorce or whatever it might be, life ends up happening much differently than we ever imagined. Isn't that true? So we grow into adults, and as we grow into our adulthood, we tend to approach life more cautiously than we did as kids. It's like we don't want to be cynical as adults, but it's almost like we can't help it because of the different things that we've ended up walking through. And it's almost like your next fill-in here, it seems like life has a way of slowly draining all the hope out of our lives. And life happens, and it's difficult. I mean, we could probably agree that life is just flat-out hard sometimes. And with it, hope kind of goes with it. Maybe you've had one of those moments in time, a season of life that took your hope away. About a year and a half ago, my wife, she had a health scare and it was one of those times in our life that it just caused you to hold your breath. And all the what-ifs enter in. A season of fear and just what's around the corner and trying to trust God through that. And I would say that there was a period of time where it just, it didn't seem like there was a lot of hope. In fact, it seemed like hope was being drained out. Maybe you've been in a season like that. But the truth is, as humans, we need hope for survival. It's like ingrained in us that we need hope. And that is why your next feeling, everybody hopes in someone or something regardless of the difficulty in life. Every single one of us continually put our hope in someone or something. And you know this is true if, if you're married. That day that you stood at the altar and you said, I do, you put hope in that other person. Your trust and your confidence was placed in them. Uh, if you've ever made any financial investments, at some level, you're placing your hope in the economy. Uh, if you have kids, you're placing your hope in their potential and what they're going to become. If you've spent a lot of time or money on education, you've placed 
your hope and your own potential and what you've learned and what you could become. If you voted in the last election, you placed your hope in a political party or in a person on some level. Even in the lowest moments of our life, when people are deathly sick, they place their hope in doctors and in science and in medical breakthroughs. Because the reality is this, if we're going to live as human beings, hope is necessary for our survival. We need hope. And it was no different for the Hebrew people of the Old Testament. Uh, If you're looking at the Bible, it's divided up into two sections. The Old Testament is the first half of the Bible, and the New Testament, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, instruction for for those that follow Jesus, that's in the second section. But in the Old Testament, these writings are thousands of years old. What we find is that they had two Hebrew words for hope. And this is so important as we unpack this today. And this is your next fill-in. Two Hebrew words for hope. One was yakal, and that actually meant to wait for. To wait for with hope in your heart. This was a word of hope, but it was waiting with hope, expectation. So to give you an example of this, this was Noah and the ark. Maybe you remember that story when you grew up and all the animals went two by two into the ship and it rained 40 days and 40 nights. And here they are in this boat, and Noah had to yakal. He had to wait with hope that that water would recede and they would eventually make their way out of that ship. How many of you, if you were stuck with those animals 40 days, 40 nights, would also have some yakal, right? You'd be having some hope that you'd get away from those animals and off that ship. I can't imagine the smell, day, whatever. You know, towards the end of that journey, yikes. Uh, Some stinky mess on your hands. And then there's a second Hebrew word, kava, which also means to wait. But this was a different kind of waiting. The word kav in Hebrew, actually, it's the word for a a rope that is tight and there's tension. And it pulls and it pulls and it pulls and it pulls until it finally breaks. And kava is the hope that when the tension breaks, that finally something is released. Um, And it's similar to like a farmer that goes out and he sows the seed. And and there's kava, that there's enough rain and there's enough sun and like there's this tension. Will we have a crop this year? Will we make it? Will we survive? And when that crop comes out of the ground, it's kava. It's like we've waited with this expectation of hope, and finally, it is here. So these two Hebrew words, you may notice a common theme in both of them. Have you figured it out yet? Waiting. Waiting. Now, how many of us are good at waiting for things, right? We're not very good, are we? We like everything instant, everything now. I mean, if the internet, right? I mean, you're looking at your phone and you pulled some up and you're mad if 10 seconds, the screen's not up, right? Because it had to go all the way to outer space, hit a signal satellite, then come all the way back from outer space and hit your phone. And we're mad like in five seconds. We're like, what's the deal? Gosh, can't they get it together, right? We are just impatient people. We don't like waiting for things. And yet here are these two Hebrew words. Yakal and kavah. Here's an example of it, Isaiah 8, 17. It says, at this moment, the Lord is hiding his face, Israel, so I will kavah for him. Like there's this tension, God's hiding his face, and we don't really know why, but we're gonna wait with hopeful anticipation that he's gonna break this tension and he's gonna show up. There's this hopeful waiting And in the book of Psalms, these two words appear more than 40 times, this waiting for God with hope. Psalm 130, five through seven says this, I kavah for the Lord, or I wait for the Lord. 
And let Israel, you call for the Lord because he is loyal and will redeem Israel from all of its sins. Right, this waiting for a Messiah, this waiting for a Savior, that sins could be forgiven. It's this waiting that involves hope. Now, this is not the same as optimism. Where are all my optimists in the room? You're just an optimist, right? Glass half full all the time, maybe running over. It's even sunny on a cloudy day. Where are you? Let me see your hands. You don't have to be ashamed. You can be proud of being an optimist. I'm an optimist. You're my people, right? We just live, this is it. We just live in this world where everything's gonna be great and it's all gonna work out, right? And Jeremiah, our associate pastor, he's like a way more bigger optimist than I am. I don't think he's ever had a bad day. And, and, and literally, like the two of us combined, it's like, hey, it's just rainbow and sunshine and Skittles all the time. And so we need people to bring us back down to like ground level earth. You know, like, hey, uh, so how many of you are pessimists? Let me see, pessimists. See, now you see you're ashamed. You're like, I'm kind of a pessimist. And then some of you are in the middle. You just don't even know. How many of you are in the middle? You just don't know. Maybe you're a mix. I don't know. You're just a mix, whatever. But us optimists, you know what we do? We look at our circumstances and we try to figure out the best case scenario of how this thing's going to work out. It's like we can't help it. It's just wired in us. We're just weird that way. We just think, you know, it's just gonna, it's gonna be great. It's gonna work out. But here was the case for, this was not the case for the people in the Old Testament. For many of these Hebrew people, as they looked at their circumstances, there was no way out. There was no like, well, hope's around the corner. Hey, this could happen and this could happen and this could happen. No, no, no. This was like life-ending stuff. No optimism, no way out. And that is, we, that is why we find something that is so interesting as you begin to study these two words, hope. That these words of hope were not based on circumstances. They were rather based on a person. Their hopeful anticipation, it was their trust in their heavenly Father, not what they saw in their circumstances in front of them. And so your next villain, biblical hope, has always been based on a person, not optimism for the future. Biblical hope has always been based on a person, not optimism for the future. I love this word picture that we get in Hosea 2.15. God says, there I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Acre a door of, what's that word? What's that word? Hope. I mean, amazing. Think of this. These people who have been in the lowest place, valley, wondering where is God. God says, I know it seems like you are in a no way out deal, but I want you to know I'm about to create a doorway of hope for you that you did not see that even existed beforehand. What once seemed like the bottom of the valley, God says, I'm going to create a doorway of hope. And that's what he's able to do for us, to make a way where there seems to be no way. Everybody look right here, Psalm 39, 7. Look at this verse. And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yakal. He says, where else would I get my hope? I'm waiting on you because there's no other hope. It's not found in my circumstances. It's certainly not found in this valley. I will wait with hope because you are my hope. And I will wait expectantly for it. You see, hope, your next fill-in, hope requires us to wait and trust in God even when hope seems lost. 
even when hope seems lost, it causes us to wait and to trust. And so hope for the Hebrew people was all about waiting. But what were they waiting for? That's a great question. They were waiting for heaven to show up on earth. For there to be a difference in their life. They were waiting for the Messiah, for a Savior, hundreds and hundreds of years, waiting until the arrival of hope in the person of Jesus. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night when an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. And you would be too. (laughs) But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Everything you've been waiting for, he's arrived. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Hundreds and really thousands of years of waiting and Jesus is born. Finally, the answer is here, but little did the world know that hope had arrived with him. And these early followers of Jesus believed that he was the answer of all the waiting that that had been taking place. A savior, a Messiah. And this hope was demonstrated in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The reason he arrived was to bring hope to all of us even 2,000 years later. I love this verse, 1 Peter 1.3. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What an incredible thought. New hope, new life, all because of Jesus. You see your next film, the early followers of Jesus believed that his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection brought new hope into their life. New hope. The kind of hope that's based on a person, not on their circumstances. I remember about 10 years ago, I was actually working for Costco, one of my favorite places to go on planet Earth, by the way. 
love Costco. I could go there all the time. And I was working at Costco, and we were in a time of transition in our lives, and I worked there while we were even dreaming about this, starting this church. And I was working, and we had two kids at the time, and Addie, our daughter, was a surprise, and she's on the way. And according to our circumstances, it wasn't really going exactly how we had planned. And here we were, I was working at Costco, and and an opportunity for a supervisor position came up, and I jumped at that, and I interviewed and went through the process, and they told me that I got the supervisor job, which meant more pay, a little bit more financial relief. It was like so exciting. We're like, yes. And I went home and shared the news, and it was like, you know, that that kava that we talked about, you know, that tension, there, like some tension had broken, and there we were moving on. And two days later, they said, hey, we need to meet with you for a minute. And I went in and met with them, and they said, actually, we, we screwed up some paperwork, and uh, you actually haven't worked here long enough to become a supervisor, and we can't give you the position. And I got to tell you, you want to talk about someone pulling the plug and some hope draining out. It felt like one of those moments where hope had disappeared. And it was like, what's happening? And God, what are you doing? And why are you allowing this? Not being able to see what's around the corner. And our choices were to wait on God or wait on ourselves. And we began to put this into practice, this kavah, this you call, waiting with expecting hope that God, we don't see it but we put our trust in you because who else can we go to and who else can we put our trust in? And it wasn't but just a couple months later that a different store was able to hire me as their supervisor. And a couple months after that, it fast-tracked me into management, which was another huge pay jump and all these things. And had I gotten that first job, I would have never gotten the other job, which would have led to a management position. And even in the moment, we couldn't see it. And in fact, we were heartbroken over it. And all the while, while we were waiting, God was at work behind the scenes doing things that would end up being a blessing for us that we couldn't even see in the moment. And so my question for you today is, what do your circumstances tell you about your future right now? Because maybe you're in a similar spot where you feel like the plug has been pulled and hope is slowly draining out. Maybe that's just your reality, where you're at right now. And maybe like an optimist, you're doing your best to, to kind of strive on your own and try to figure out all the, how it's all going to work out. Or maybe you're in a spot where your circumstances seem okay, maybe somewhere in the middle. I don't know where you're at. But I know at least for me, when I hit those spots, sometimes a lot of striving replaces trust. And I think of the followers of Jesus who have gone before us, could encourage us today. They would encourage us in those moments and those circumstances where we don't know how it's going to end to stop striving to figure it all out. And instead, they would encourage us to kavah and yakal, to wait on your heavenly Father who is working all things together for good for those that love him to wait in hopeful expectation that your heavenly Father is working out what you can't. To realize he sent his Son, 
the arrival of Jesus into this world so that we, you and I, could have hope. And not hope based on circumstance, but hope based on a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And the resolution to it all that's going to happen in your life may be just as surprising as a crucified Savior who predicted his own death and resurrection and pulling it off. It may be just as surprising. And so our last fill-in, our hope comes from looking back at a resurrected Jesus knowing that he has our future in his hands. That's where our hope comes from. By looking back. We look back at his faithfulness. Has he been there for us before? Then he'll be there faithful again. We look back at the death of Jesus when all of his followers felt all hope was lost only for him to rise again three days later and hope be restored and not just hope for them but hope for us all this time later. And that's what the arrival of Christmas brings. This thing called hope that every single one of us need for survival. And that's why these followers of Jesus that went before us, they would encourage us. If you are in that moment of hopelessness or circumstances that you don't know what's around the corner, they would encourage us to kavah, to wait with hopeful expectation that while you may not know what's around the corner, God is already there. He already knows and he's working it out. So as we close today, I would like us just to take 30 seconds between you and God. And so would you mind closing your eyes all over this room? Not that there's anything spiritual about closing our eyes. It just helps us focus right here in this moment. And maybe you're in that place where the circumstances seem unclear, that you would just commit again to kavah, that you'd wait in hope for your heavenly Father. So between you and him, let's do that right now. So Heavenly Father, we know that our circumstances tend to be all over the place, mountaintops and valleys. But when we're in that place of uncertainty, I'm thankful that because of the arrival of Jesus, we can be sure in the hope we have in him. Thank you for sending your son and bringing with him hope for us that we don't have to face circumstances on our own. We don't have to walk through the valley alone, but our hope is in waiting in you. So would you meet us right in that place, right in that valley, right in that circumstance? And as we start a new week, God, I know the temptation is gonna be to swerve our attention towards our circumstances and try to strive in our own flesh to make it all work. But would you remind us by your spirit Keep Kavine, you call to put our hope and to fix our eyes on you, the author of our hope. We receive it. We thank you for it. May it change us in this season. And it's in your name we pray.